Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Take a minute to go to therealrescue.com to check out these and other great deals from our sponsors here at The Real Rescue. This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider, Axness. Because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. Life Saving Systems Corporation. We do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. And SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG Wireless ICS System can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproofed handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircrafts worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at axness.com. That's A-X-N-E-S dot com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. Life Saving Systems Corporation. They manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From my favorite harness as a rescueman, the Triton harness, to the rescue baskets, the litters, and of course, the most popular hook in all helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSE will cut bend, sew, weld, and machine these products into existence every day. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at rescuegear. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. And SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They are here to bring your agency up to date with the most current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome. With the certified flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, which I am happy to say that I am one of them, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 is also partnered with Petzl 
to assist with personal protective equipment and the highly specific Lazard. SR-3 also goes beyond the helicopter world as they provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com or over on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. Up next, we've got a guy from Oklahoma. He's a firefighter, paramedic. He's been in the National Guard. He deployed to Iraq for the war. This guy has got some stories, and he came on to share a couple of the rescues that really stand out to him. So please welcome our next guest and all of his amazing stories, Mr. Frank Bursay. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue. I've got my first boy from Oklahoma coming to me, uh, Mr. Frank. Uh, I'm telling you, Mr. Mr. Frank Bursay. Frank Bursay. I was going to say that. I really was going to yeah. say that. I only had it. I, it was like on the tip of my tongue. No, I was totally screwing that up. <laughs> Dude, Frank, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. How are you, brother? Good, good. Doing good. How about yourself? Oh, man, I am fantastic. Thanks. So uh, the greatest part about having you here is this was uh, one of your buddies threw you under the bus and was like, I nominate Frank to be on your <laughs> podcast. And I was like, yeah. OK. <laughs> yeah. He, he texted me, how do you want to be on a podcast? And I'm like, well, you're setting me up for something. I don't know what's going on. But yeah, sure. You know, the next thing I know, here we are. <laughs> Freaking love it, man. Um, yeah. And the great thing part about that is like, and we just had this, a bit of this conversation is not everybody loves to talk about their stories. And I'm, I have mad respect for everybody that doesn't like just, I did this and boast about their stories, but there is so much that can be learned from all of us just by having a conversation. So yeah, dude, I appreciate you coming I'm, on, man. Oh, no problem. Yeah. Like this is the first time I really it got, down and talked about some of these things so it's i'm i'm excited to be here and to to tell some stories we're gonna go deep yeah we are yeah <laughs> and uh you know what just so everybody knows you are wearing chris bazox uh shirt from the rescue swimmer shop yeah yeah, yeah chris bazox see that yeah you know yeah. what they can't see it but i well, can't can. so that's yeah, all that matters you, you you put the plug in there for me so i did you know what i'll yeah. put it in there for chris <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, Frank. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Give us a little background about you, man. How did you get into medevacs or to rescue, army, firefighter, everything you're doing? How did, how did those all start? Man, I was one of those little kids that always wanted to be a fireman growing up, you know, and I just never grew out of it. And then I got to the point where, you know, I went to college for a little bit and um, I really wanted to start working toward becoming a firefighter, but also wanted to put my uniform on and serve the country, you know, so I wanted to join the military. So I learned about the national guard and it's like, well, I can do both. I can serve my country and be a fireman. So that was the route I did. I joined the national guard when, you know, in my early twenties, of course, this was back, you know, 92, 93, there's nothing going on at the time. So I thought oh, I just joined the guard and I went in as a combat medic. And nice. Yeah. And then my first assignment was with the field artillery unit. So 
it was kind of boring. You know, I was like, man, I don't want to sit around out here in the field and uh, tell people to change their socks and drink water all day long. You know, I want to blow, I, I want to blow some shit up. I want to be with these guys on the line. So I actually went back. Uh, so I actually went back to training, came a community here in field artillery and started blowing stuff up. And I did that for like eight years. And, uh, uh dude, I love that. Up, I love that already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so then, although I, um, I do i got one question for you while you're a little kid and and you know wanting to be a fireman did you run around with the little fireman hat on all the time oh yeah yeah okay I was, just I was, <laughs> I, was a, I grew up in a little town and i'd go to the fire station and walk look at the fire trucks and you know nobody cared they're like oh that's 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 little frank he he'll, he's fine just let him walk around and daydream about all the fire trucks they awesome and then so, you get to a spot where you want to blow shit up. I love it. Yeah, it's, you know, a little bit of both. You know, it's, oh, it's good times. So I'd actually got out of the military just prior to 9-11. Of course, obviously, you didn't know 9-11 was going to happen, but I was getting ready to start the fire academy and just start the next chapter of my life and just thought, you know, I'm ready to get out. There's nothing going on at the time. So I got out. Obviously, 9-11 happened. Then, you know, Afghanistan kicked off. Iraq kicked off after that. And I'm sitting at home watching watching it on the news, you know. And I'm kind of one of those guys that I was like, man, I can't do this. This is this is tearing me up. And at that time, by then, I was on, been on the fire department for a little while. Um, I was a paramedic. I've been a, a paramedic for 22 years now. Uh, but at that time, you know, I was uh, had a ton of experience where I was stationed at you know gunshot wounds and stabbings and traumas and all that stuff was like every day so tons of experience i was on the swat team with uh, the police department as a tactical medic so kind of was in that whole world as well and i thought man if i could take my training and experience go back into the military and do some good do something you know it's like i gotta do it and i didn't want to just sign up and and get back in and be like hey do whatever do with me whatever you want to so i i knew there's a medevac company here in oklahoma so i was like and as far as the army goes and unless you're like in special operations medevac is the way to go as far as you know the top tier <laughs> being a medic and being you know being in the shit yeah you know, yeah, so yeah. Speak, you know i was like if i'm going in that's where i'm going you know <laughs> So you want to be on the I, front line? Go medic. Yeah. Yeah. Be, I, wanted, I want to be there. So I actually went to the unit, talked to them before I'd actually gotten in. I was like, here's my, you know, I'm a paramedic. I got this experience, blah, 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 prior service and everything. And they said, yeah, we want you. So I was like, all right. So went to a recruiter, said, hey, I'm coming back in. And this is the unit I'm going in. And this is my slot that they've already uh, told me I could have. And that was it. Got back in. I had a five-year break in service from, you know, before till I got back into the army again. So, uh, like I said, I just I couldn't watch it on the news anymore. You right. know, so yeah. And that's that's the same for a lot of guys. They were they were like, man, I gotta get, I, I gotta do what I can for my country and do whatever, whatever I can. So a lot of people joined after that, and I was I was one of them basically. Or you know, so got into medevac. They had just got back from Afghanistan, so it was a little while before any the next deployment was coming up. So I had plenty of time to train up and get all my flight hours in and all my hoist work done and whatnot. So um, finally, the time 
time came around, we got the order, said, hey, you guys are going to Iraq. So I was like, heck yeah, this is, this is what it's all about. I'm ready to go. Of course, I was married at the time. My wife wasn't too appreciative of it. So, you know, she was. Hey, like, I feel you. My wife is like, right now, she's like, you're not going anywhere without me. Yeah. It, it was tough choice. You know, I had, I was married. I had my son. I had a great career going. I, yeah. my life was perfect. You know, I was like, I, 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 I'm at home doing rescues, helping people with the fire department. You know, I'm kind of doing that thing. So I'm fine if I don't go back in. But it's like, I got to do this. So next thing I know, we're on a plane headed to headed to Iraq, you know. So, um, but it was what I wanted to do. It was, it was, uh, it, it was in my heart. It's like, I got to do this. I gotta That's do awesome. This. So get, get over there. I was in Balad. That's uh, where I, the medevac compound that I was at. Started out a little rough. You know, that first week we were there, one of our Chinook helicopters crashed. Oh, and snap. We yeah, we lost seven dudes that first week. Oh, my seven, gosh. Yeah, we lost seven brothers that first week we were in Iraq. They were they were uh, crashed in the desert. So didn't start out very well. Uh, Wait, it was, it was, uh, was that like one of your first calls? Because uh, No, I didn't go on it. That was, oh. that was the Chinook element of our unit. They were they were coming from Kuwait over into Iraq and, and uh, had a mishap. So, oh, uh, man very rough start you know and that was the wake-up call it's like man this is real we're in combat this yeah is, it's the real thing you know we're not in oklahoma anymore <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you did, that, oh yeah what a great that, line that's I like that. really hits me you know so yeah but yeah we were we replaced the 101st airborne unit that was there so had to you know they give you a little time to cross over as far as you know they kind of teach you things that they've learned and while they were there and kind of show you the ropes before you take it over and uh, take over the missions. So um, that's, that's how I ended up in Iraq, basically. Uh, Dang, and, uh, man. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. All right. So we started there. Now here's the, the kick about this. And this is the only, I mean, you and I have talked just about like this much, you know, just a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And you earned two air medals while you were over there. Um, yeah. One of them that we have the write up for, and the other one seems to be lost somewhere in the house or somewhere in a move. I, I, I've, got, I've still got this big box that's full of crap from Iraq <laughs> that still has sand in it to this, to this oh, very day. Dude, that sure is it's at the bottom. Awesome. It's probably laying in the bottom of there somewhere, you know. Love it. Love it. <laughs> well, here's what we're going to do we're going we're gonna to actually read uh, this one. Uh, this air medal that you got out of it, um, which is the end of your tour. So it's kind of like a, you know, all your, everything compiled together earned you this air medal, which is awesome. The write-up is fantastic. And then uh, you're going to give us the story behind the very first one, which kind of coincides with one of your very first calls that you had while you were over there. Is that accurate? That's accurate. Oh, snap. So I'll tell you what, let me, uh, let's get this party started and let me read this narrative to accompany the award of the air medal to specialist Frank O. Bursay. Specialist Frank O. Bursay, United States Army, distinguished himself by exceptional meritorious service in the United States as an UH-60 Blackhawk medevac flight medic for Charlie Company 2D Battalion, 149th Aviation Regime, 34th Combat Aviation Brigade, Multinational Corpse Iraq Baghdad, 
Iraq from 1 September 2008 to 20 May 2009 during Operation Iraq Freedom. In more than nine months of service as a flight medic, Specialist Bersay flew more than 80 combat medical evacuation missions while logging more than 125 combat flight hours during rotary-winged aviation operations throughout Central and Northern Iraq. His excellent patient care and performance as an aircrew member throughout his deployment contributed greatly to saving the lives and to ensuring the continued medical care of numerous injured patients, including U.S. and Iraqi military and civilian personnel, in the face of potential enemy threat and in both hazardous weather and decreased visibility conditions, he exercised sound judgment in the effective aircrew coordination to ensure that injured and ill personnel were successfully transported to military medical facilities. His excellent judgment and skills as an aircrew member earned him the respect of his pilots and his fellow aircrew members. Specialist Bursay actions were in keeping with the finest traditions of military service and reflect distinct credit upon himself, the multinational corps Iraq, and the United States Army. Damn, Frank. Dude, that is legit. <laughs> so to recap some of this, I mean, what 20... Uh, 80 combat medical evacuation missions and 125 combat flight hours, bro. That that's crazy. Awesome. Like, well done, sir. Thank you. <laughs> so bring us into the next air medal. Cause you earned that on case number one or mission. Number one. Ba- yeah. Basically it was a, uh, a first mission over there. We uh, sandstorm. We have, uh, the way we run is you, you, you have first up, second up, and CASIF. And you have first up chase, second up chase, CASIF chase. All of our missions, we run with two aircraft. Okay. So um, you ha- so you, you spend two days on first up, two days on second up, two days on CASIF. When you're on first up, when you're the first up medic, you're the lead medic. It's your show, basically. Uh, that's the day that you know, you look forward to, it's like when things happen, it's, I'm the one that's, that, that's going out. I'm, I'm going to be the lead medic, lead aircraft, you know, all this good stuff. And so you always get excited about being on first up that day and a sandstorm had come in, um, about two or three days prior to that basically shut down the entire war. Basically. I mean, there, the visibility was measured at feet, not miles. There's, there's, you could, the, it, and um, so we were grounded. We're like, we're not going anywhere, you know, until the storm blows over. And of course, usually if medevac can't fly, then, you know, people, don't, you know, soldiers aren't going out in the field. And of course, they know this too. And um, so we had a lot of fobs that would end up getting, getting rocket, rockets thrown in there and stuff like that. They use the cover of the, the sandstorm and everything to launch their little attacks. So wow. we had an attack happen uh, the day before I came on and we couldn't fly. We weren't able to fly. It took about an hour to get approval and the air force ended up going uh, the PJ unit that was there with us. They, their aircraft are a little more high tech and had a little more toys to, to be able to go. Well, the next day I'm coming up first up medic lead medic, um, so 
go out there and I'm getting the aircraft ready. I'm going through all of my medical gear and everything. Pilots are doing their thing. Crew chiefs are doing, doing their, just getting ready for the day. It's like, we know we're not, we know we're not going to fly anywhere, but better get ready, better get prepared in case something, something happens. And anyway, we just got all of our stuff squared away and, and ready to take over duty for that 24 hour period. Next thing you know, on the, you know, we all carried little handheld radios and we said, you know, medevac, medevac, medevac. Like, what the heck, you know, or what's going to, what's going on here? So we run into TAC ops and uh, they tell us that, you know, there was just a, a rocket attack on a FOB not too far, not too far from us. Define FOB for me real quick. Forward operating base. Okay, so, cool. you know, you had your little different bases around, yep. around Iraq. For the record, Ooh. I did know that, but it was just for everybody else out there that didn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right so fob got hit got it got hit we're grounded at this time so we don't know what we're going to get to do i get on the phone with uh the the fob over there i'm like hey what do you guys got you know right now we're grounded we don't know if we can come they, they had 11 patients that they had oh my god three were like critical red if you want to call it however, whatever triage you use, anybody uses, but three that were really, really bad. So I told them, I said, we, we don't know if we can launch. Is there any way that you can get them on a convoy and start heading this way? Because if we can't launch, then you're already ahead of the game and you're bringing them by convoy. And then if we do get launch approval, we'll just link up with you wherever you're at at that time. So uh, they said, called me back back and forth a little bit and they said yeah we can we can kind of start we can hit we can put a convoy together and start heading that way well the higher the 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 risk level on our missions the higher up the chain of command it has to go for us to get approval so our company commander calls like the battalion commander who denies it and calls the brigade commander or whatever and he denies it this goes all the way up to like some four-star Marine Corps general in Baghdad. Who, I can't remember his title. He was like the highest ranking officer in country at the time. And he goes all the way up to him and he says, well, I'm not giving you guys permission to launch, but if your guys decide that they want to do it, they, they can. He said, but I need every person on that aircraft, on that air crew, to verbally give their individual approval that they're willing to take this flight. And he says, you know, and we don't go anywhere without two aircraft. Our yeah. second aircraft is either for additional patients or like say we have to do an emergency landing or if we crash, yeah, we got the second aircraft that can come in, load us up and get us out of there. So we don't go anywhere without two aircraft. Well, he says, I'm not giving you two aircraft. I'll give you one aircraft, one flight crew. So, all right, the medic, my, my buddy, a good buddy, Aaron Withrow, he was the medic on the second up aircraft. So he said, dude, you want me to go with you? I was like, heck yeah, this is, this, this could get ugly, you know? So he takes some of his medical gear off of his aircraft, throws it on, on my aircraft. So we got two medics at least, but nice. we all get around the table, planning table in the middle and company officers like, um, you know, hey, if anybody does not feel safe taking this mission, we're scrapping it. And 
we had we had an A team of a crew that day. We took the two PCs off both aircraft, and me and Aaron. You know, of course, me and Aaron could save the world if you, you let us. You know, at least that was our <laughs> state of mind at the time. You know, and uh, a real, uh, Paul Shook, great great crew chief. So it was like the movies. It, it was like being in a movie. Like all of a sudden, come, you know, everybody's in the tack off room and. I wonder what's going on and, and everything. And like our company officers, like all non-essential personnel get the fuck out, you know? And it was, it was one of those moments. I was like, Oh shit, this is yeah. real. Shit's you know? about to get real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he looks at me, he said, and I kind of gave a brief of like, you know, we got kind of a little patient overview of what we, what we had ahead of us. And the, the thought was maybe go get the, the three critical patients, you know, the other ones that can end up coming in on convoy. And he said, he, he looked, looked at me, he said, Hey, are you willing to take this mission? I said, this is why I'm here. This is why I came to Iraq for this moment right here. This is what it's all about. You know? And he went around to every single person and asked them the same question. Are you willing to take this mission? Not a single person hesitated, thought about it, nothing. They were like, hell yeah, let's, let's go. You know, so you got a little group of Oklahoma and Texas, good old boys, ready to go out there and save some lives. And so, yep. So we all run out the aircraft and get it run up, and uh, we take off. You can't see past the nose of the, the aircraft, it's just brown. You're just surrounded by just brown sand. You can't, you can't see nothing. You know, instrument flight the whole way. And it's usually, I don't know, I think if I remember right, it's usually about a 20 minute flight or so to get over there to this particular fog. And we were flying low and slow. And it was like, hey, we're we're taking our time. We're gonna make sure and, and get there, get there alive at least. And so you could look straight down and see the ground. And we started flying over this town. And I'm looking and I'm waving to these kids that could literally pick up a rock and hit me with it if they wanted to. We were we were that close. And we're flying over this town that the the, the attack just came from. So now here we are, we like, hey, you know, we're in this big loud helicopter. Come get us if you want, you know. Oh my gosh. And we made radio comms with the the the, the fob. They were on their way in the convoy with the patients and they gave us their location. And we're flying in. We flew right past there where, where they so they found a little parking lot with about an eight foot brick wall around it. You know, have a little security. We flew right past it. We couldn't see them. You, I mean, you couldn't you couldn't see two feet outside the aircraft. They're like, hey, you just flew over. So we turning around. And of course, we're, we're, we're doing a go around and pilots like, hey, you know, you know, we're at about 100, 100 feet. There's a tower right here somewhere that's about 150 feet. Let's hope we don't run into it. You know. Oh my God. We're just we we were just kind of at this point we were wondering did we just sign our death certificate on this deal? So, but we make it make it around, find the the parking lot, and come in and land. So I get out, run over there. I can see where their little ambulance was. Where they had they already had the patient set up. On the side, all around the outside of the perimeter, Humvees were set up, you know, uh, providing security, all that good stuff. So 
two of the patients were like severe head trauma, severe head wounds. I didn't know a person's head could swell this. It was unreal. And then another one had a huge uh, sucking chest wound. Look, looked them over, did a quick assessment. You know, they were both already innovated. IV started, you know, all the medical interventions were, were complete. So I was like, okay, we're going to load them up. We're going to get them home. We're going to get them back to the lot and, and go from there. So we're loading them up. I take two in the front. I take two patients in the front with me, one of the head trauma patients and the one with the second chest wound. And then in, in the back, Aaron took the other uh, head trauma patient. Well, back then, at that point, we were still using what's called a carousel. It's just basically this big metal thing that where you can stack litters kind of up on top of each other instead of just having everybody on the floor. Yeah, in, in the, uh, inside the cabin of the 60. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And what, what sucked about it is that you couldn't, like if, if you had it in the load position, you couldn't get to the back of the aircraft or you couldn't really get around once you got your patients loaded. Right. So that's why you're referring to the front of the front of the cabin or the back of the cabin, because that it's almost like the stretchers have now created a wall between the front of the cabin and the back of the cabin. Yes. Correct. Yeah, I, I know exactly. What you, I, I see it. Got it. And so Aaron had I gave him one of the patients back there with him and I took the two up front with me. And in my mind and, you know, they're bagging, bagging both the patients, both the head injury trauma patients, are, they're both being back. Wow. So I'm thinking, okay, Aaron, we only had one ventilator. So I thought, well, Aaron can bag his patient. I'll get mine on the ventilator and stuff and all that take off. So as they're loading the patient, I run around to the other side of the aircraft so I can start bagging both the, the patients. So then I jump in and I go and I hook, throw the monitor on this guy real quick. And he's in PEA. He has no, he, he looked from, as we were loading him on the aircraft, he lost his pulse. He went pulseless. Wow. So, so I'm like, oh shit. So, so I mean, real quick, pulseless electrical, uh, pulseless electrical activity, PEA means you have a pulse on the monitor, but there's no, the heart's not actually pumping. So you're only getting electrical current through there. So when you see that as a medic, you're like, oh, start CPR. Because yeah. for anybody yeah. that's not a medic, that means you don't have a pulse. You start chest compressions. Yes. I got your yes. back. Uh, come on, Frank. I mean, I, I got to help that. some of our basic guys out. The first okay. responders. Okay. You, you <laughs> take care of me on this. Uh, we got so the I bag started, valve mask thing going. We got that one. Yeah, we're good. Bag, bag valve mask. You know, I can talk a little more specific. So I immediately started doing chest compressions. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, once my crew chief jumps in, he can start helping me out. Because we, we train our crew chiefs and, and some medical procedures and stuff to, to help us out in the aircraft. So I'm like, okay, he can, do chest, he can take over chest compressions. Then I can jump over, get the ventilator hooked up, blah, blah, blah. So all of a sudden, crew chief goes to shut the door, and it won't shut. It's stuck somehow. It, it won't close. Then all of a sudden, he goes to shut it, and it kind of comes off the rail a little bit. So the door is will not close and he's trying and trying and it's either he, he has to just rip the door off or, or something. We're, we're in a bad way, all, you know, cause we can't take off. We can't fly with doors open with this carousel and all this yeah. other stuff. 
So he's, he's messing with the door and, you know, a few minutes goes by and we're like, we got to unass the area. We've been on the ground for too long as it is. And the pilot, he, uh, he asked Paul, he said, can you hold it shut? Paul says, yeah, I think so. So. Oh, oh, oh. Dude. <laughs> oh snap. Okay. So, and he says, you know, if, if you can't hold it shut, we'll find somewhere else to land and we'll, we'll figure something out. So we take off and I've now lost my helper up front with me. So now I'm doing chest compressions and bagging this patient at the same time. Plus I got my sucking chest wound patient below him that I got trying to keep an eye on. And so I'm doing chest compressions, bagging, and then I go, I grab my, my medications, my ALS medications. And I'm like, I can't, how am I get doing this? And Aaron, he reaches around the side of the carousel and he starts bagging both patients. So he, so he's bagging two patients. You know, luckily, he's, <laughs> luckily he's as tall as I am because he's bagging two patients. If he was, he could reach as far as he could reach. He could barely reach the other BVM and bag both at the same time. Oh, and what a great guy, man. What oh, man. hell. I would have been, been, there's no way we could have done that if he wouldn't have went with me. So he says, Hey, hand me your drug bag. So I'm able to hand the drug bag back to him so he can pull out my medications, you know, because it's like, man, I got to get epi and atropine. got to get that stuff on board, you know, because it's, it's a full-blown cardiac arrest going on. And so he hands, he hands me my first round of drugs, and I go to administer them, and I look at this IV line, and there's no med port on it. I don't know where this IV line came from, what. There's no drug port. So I have to unhook the IV, push my drugs, hook the IV back up, turn it back on so I can flush my meds, all while trying to do chest compressions without without having to stop for very long. Just Holy God, Frank. Gosh, I'm like, it's it can't get any worse. So uh, we're working this, we're we're working the card. The guy on the bottom, my second chest one, he was awake. He, you know, and so the only thing I could do, I'd look down and I'd kind of give him a thumbs up and he'd give me the thumbs up back. And I thought, well, that's good. You know, that's sometimes that's the only assessment you, yeah. you can do. You know, I, I can look at his face and he's, he, he, he's not having trouble breathing, you know, no JVD, no tracheal deviation, equal rise and fall of chest, you know, he's good, you know, and we're, we're on our way back and Paul is over there and he's holding the door shut. He's literally keeping us alive by holding this door shut. Cause if this thing comes off, it's either going, it's going in the rotor or somewhere and we're all, we're done, you know? So he's literally keeping us alive by holding the door on. And, and you got to remember, we're only one aircraft. We don't have a backup aircraft. So if we crash or we have to do an emergency landing, we're screwed. We're in the, we're, cause there's nobody coming to get us. There's no quick reaction force on standby or there's no second aircraft to come pick us up. We're just out of luck, you know? And it's not like we can, if, if we survive the crash, it's not like we can switch over to escape and evasion mode and, and all this stuff. We got three litter patients in the aircraft. We can't oh, go in. We're not going anywhere. Jeez, you know? oh man, dude. And so we keep working, working, and, you know, every few minutes, you know, Aaron has me, he, he, he took care of me. And he, Handing my next round of drugs, and he's a. We were both 
civilian paramedics. So, I mean, it's like, we got this. We, we've done this a million times. This is another day in the office. So, uh, well, sort of. You might be not quite in the office at this moment in time. No, no. This is not in the back of a truck. Yeah. What was the good thing about National Guard Medevac is that most all of us were paramedics and firemen, and we did this stuff all the time, you know? So yeah. you had some really good, squared away, solid medics on the aircraft. So Aaron's taking care of me, you know, handing my drugs every few minutes and have to like unhook the IV, push drugs, hook it back up, flush it, back doing chest compressions. And pilot, he calls back to me. He says, uh, hey, we're five minutes out from the from the hospital. You, you want to encode or you want to tell him what you got or you want me or did he want or did I want him to tell him? Because I had my hands full. Yeah. But of course, at this time, I was like, and hey, nothing else could go wrong. I'll just talk to the hospital too while I'm doing everything else, you know? So, you know, you're at that point. You're at that point. Like, <laughs> screw it. Bring it on. Bring it on. You know? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so I give them, I give them, that was one thing that went right. I gave a nice, smooth civilian style encode. They're like, man, this is pretty squared away, which was good because there was not a single aircraft flying in Iraq that day. We were like the only aircraft. So every talk in country were like, listen, what the, they're like, what the hell are these guys doing flying today? There's, there's nobody flying. So everybody was listening to me. So wow. gave my encode and get there. And I can tell aircraft starts, you know, starts, you can feel it slowing down. So like, all right, we're getting ready to land. And so I, I, I stop real quick, do a quick pulse check. We got a pulse. We got a pulse back on this dude. Awesome. Yes, sinus pack on the monitor. I reach down. He's got a good carotid pulse. Go to slap the blood pressure cuff on him. We, we got him back. Don't, you know, it was like, holy cow. This dude is, this dude is tougher than night in jail because he's not giving up. And our attitude was, if he's not giving up, we damn sure aren't giving up on him. We're going to make sure he has every fighting chance to, to survive this. So got him back. I was like, man, I can't believe it. You know, almost had tears in my eyes because, Last thing in the world I expected. And so door opens up. They come running out to get the, the litters. And they wanted to grab get my guy that we just worked the cardiac arrest from. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I got wires hanging everywhere and IV tubing and crap everywhere. Like, take take the guy below. He's got, he's got the big sucking chest wound. And, you know, he had an inclusive dressing on and everything. So, yeah, they get him in the ER and immediately put a chest tube in him and, and got like three liters of blood out of his chest. Wow. And he was, yeah. And he was still bleeding. He was actively bleeding when they opened up his chest. And they said, uh, they said he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have survived the, con the trip in the convoy. And he would have, he, he, he would have bled out on the way to the hospital. If, uh, you know, we weren't able to go pick him up, he wouldn't have made it. So, and then unfortunately wow. the other two guys, uh, the, the guy that I was working on, he, he, he lived for about, I think two or three more days. And then he ended up, uh, dying from his mm. injuries. And then the guy in the back, he, uh, he made it to Germany and then he ended up, uh, passing from, from his injuries. So we had, so we had that, we lost those two guys, you know, but it, it was, it was still, 
it, it was a mixed emotions, you know. Yeah. We had we 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 saved the one we ever saved the one guy, but you don't think about him. You think about the guys that lost. Um, but all all you can really do is to say, you know, hey, we we gave those we were able to give those guys a fighting chance and give those guys every bit of of opportunity to to survive. But um, unfortunately, they they didn't. But it was a hairy call. It was crazy. So that was my introduction. That was my first big mission. And I was like, oh, man, it's going to be a long year. (laughs) (laughs) Holy cow. So, you know, my my sympathy for those that that passed, you know, especially our fallen brothers. um, That's, that's, you know, I hate seeing it. I really do. So, you know, good on you for doing everything you could to do it. But. Wow, man. It, yeah, it was it was crazy, you know, because no visibility. Your crew chief's keeping you alive by holding on, holding the door shut. Dude, you that's know, crazy. The full code and everything going on. So, oh it's my like, god. L- luckily, luckily, I had the guys that I did on that uh, on that mission. So, Dang. everybody, as it, as much crap that got thrown at us i mean we i i look back it's like we did it right you know yeah. we were able to, to adjust fire and, and and get it done get to the best of our ability so wow frank wow <laughs> so, you know i i can't you know my my sympathy to those that lost you know and, and that we had to Drape an american flag over their caskets never never a fun day for that for them for their families you know i I, I hate I hate hearing that, um, you know. It, but heck, it's it's yeah. part of it. And but it's what we do to go out to get those the so they're not dying in the in the field. They're dying, yeah. You know, in the U.S. Staying, yeah. So so others may live. So know. others may live. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we do everything we can to make it happen. Yeah. Holy yeah. cow, Frank. So and uh, a cool story uh, that kind of goes off of that is. We were the medevac compound that we were at. It was actually abandoned by the Air Force, you know, before we got there. Okay. They were probably get, they were probably getting substandard living pay <laughs> while in Iraq to be in this place. I thought uh, this, this is Shangri La, you know, this is like <laughs> awesome. So, but oh, that's so funny. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm laughing because we can. All right. I'm a Coast yes. Guard guy. I get it. Like puddle jumper, whatever. But yeah. you know what? The Air Force always builds a swimming pool in the facilities first, and then they get the walls. You know, yes. they buy the furniture first. Oh, you know what? We need a little more money for the walls. Yeah. I would have, I, when when I was there, I, I, we, we call, I call it a spa day where I would sneak over to the Air Force side and go, I'd go work out in their gym and eat at their cafeteria. Like, this, this uh, is my spa day. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, and everybody that's listening to this right now is like, it's so true. It's so it true. It is. You can't deny it. <laughs> uh, you know what? Nobody's here to defend it, so we're just going to run no. with it. I love it. No, maybe, maybe, maybe. Tell me how to fit it on the next podcast. You know, that's right. We'll Come on, let's go, Air Force. Yeah, come yeah. defend yourself. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, sorry, sorry. So it was a prior Air so, Force. Yeah, got it. Yep. Yeah. So they're they're building a uh, 
a new medevac compound there in Balad while we were there. And it fit, they got, they got it finished up before we had left, but like, we didn't want to, we, we started operating out of it at the end, but as far as living there and all that stuff, by that time, we're like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not moving. You know, I'm like, I just want to get, I just, I just want to go home. I'm just ready to go home. So we were, we were just doing our operations stuff out of there. Well, kind of the tradition is whatever medevac company is there and takes it over or, you know, is stationed there when they open up the new medevac compound, they get to come up with the name for it. They get the name, the compound. So it was toward the end of the deployment and our uh, company officer, he's like, you know, Hey everybody, you know, come up with an idea or what would be a good name. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we'll see, we'll see what we, we get at the, you know, me I, at this, at this point, I don't care about any of that stuff. So for me, I'm just, we had this big meeting in, in our little building there and I'm sitting in the back thinking, okay, whatever, just, I want to get out of here. So I had no, no intentions of giving a crap about this whole meeting or anything. And they were giving out awards and stuff, you know? So they said, okay, what's our uh, nominations for our new medevac compound? And guys were, you know, they were coming up with their, their little silly names and stuff. And then a lot of guys were coming up with, you know, we should name it after this guy. He won the medal of honor in Vietnam or this guy. who's like the father of medevac and, you know, true heroes. Yeah. Nonetheless, true heroes, solid, solid um, guys. And the guy that that died on on me on that story I was telling you, his, his name was Heath Pickard. I'll never forget that name. He was, I think he was 21, married, had just had a baby. I don't think he'd even seen his kid ever. I think the kid was, I think, I think his daughter was born while he was in Iraq. So um, very tragic loss you know especially you don't get to see your kid yeah bad bad thing so anyway i'm i'm sitting there and and he and he he was the he, he wasn't the first soldier that died on me he was the first soldier that we lost as an entire medevac company he was our first casualty so to speak i guess um so anyway i'm, I'm sitting there and they're coming they're, they're coming up with these names and all this stuff and i'm like i'm like yeah this is cool i'm like but that dude's probably got a building named after him on post somewhere back home that dude's probably got a building that dude's probably got these guys have books written after them they're they're true here they're, they're big heroes they're, yeah they've they've got books buildings named after them and and rightfully so and i'm sitting there thinking you know and it just kind of hits me i was like what about the guys that, that gave their life for our country that aren't going to have a building named after them, or they may not have a street named after them. You know, those are the guys we need to remember because those guys, they gave their life and it is just as important as anybody else who gave their life as if they won the medal of honor, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, important and, and meaningful whether whether you're some pfc that nobody's ever heard of or ever will hear of or you won the medal of honor so i'm like I'm like man we need to do something for those guys 
So it just, it hit me and I, I stood up and just, uh, and it was, it, it wasn't like, okay, here's my idea. It was like, you know, this is what we're doing. The Frank has spoken. It's starting. He, he, he will speak now. And <laughs> oh, I love it. So I, I get up and I'm like, and I remind everybody, it's like, you know, I said, hey, the first soldier that we lost on our watch here in Iraq, his name was Keith Pickard. Everybody remembered it. I said, we're going to name the compound Pickard Medivac Compound. I said, and we're not necessarily just naming it after Heath. We're naming it to represent all the soldiers that gave their life for this country that may not get the recognition of having a building named after them or having a book written about them. You know, his, his sacrifice is every bit as important. And this is a symbol that, hey, we're not going to forget you guys. You're, you're in our hearts and we'll, we'll never forget. Dang, man, that and was awesome. They said, and then like, as soon as I said that, no other suggestions were, were even, it was like immediately, hey, are we going to, let's vote, we name, to name it Pickard Medivac Compound, and every, every hand in that room raised up, and it was a, it was a cool moment. I mean, and not just for me, for but it was yeah. our, like our whole unit was like, yeah, this is, this is what we're doing. This is means a lot to us. Just the symbol symbolism of, of what it stood for, you know, to to every soldier that's out there. And uh, so, if anybody was stationed at Pickard Medivac Compound in Balad, that's where the name came from. Because you were probably wondering what what does Pickard stand for? So, but he was. He was a, an ordinary soldier, but gave the ultimate sacrifice. And we, we wanted to remember him for it. And Bro, that so, is awesome. So it's kind of, kind of, it's, it's, it's hard to keep back emotions when you think about stuff like that. You know? Oh man, I, I got chills all over me right now. So, Funny. Frank, that's, that's, in, that's incredible. But yeah. Um, and then came back home and, uh, went back to the fire station, just like went back to work, like just like none that. Of that ever, yeah, you, you're expected to just pretend like, like none of that happened, you know? Yeah, Go back. yeah. So, and like for me, I had probably the best support system you could have, you know, being a fireman. I, I you know, I had therapy sessions every third day at the dinner table, drinking coffee with all my all my <laughs> brothers at the station, you know, busting each other's balls and. And, and just talking, you know, you can solve all the world's problems by just going to the fire station in the mornings and you drinking know, coffee. We, we got the answer there. We can, we can put it all out, so, There's a few know. groups of us out there that can solve a lot of world problems that way. I'm just saying, they just yeah. don't call us because they don't they really want to hear it. the real yeah. answer. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, all you got to do is this and you'll be fine. Oh, no, yeah. nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> oh that's hilarious um yeah wow well let me start with this thank you for your service and and what you guys did over there the fact that you named that building after that soldier that's 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 pretty awesome man thank you thank you for that one for him and his family like oh yeah uh, and everybody that everybody awesome everybody that 
So yeah, freaking amazing. It's freaking badass, dude. All right. Now let me go on to the fire department because you brought it up while you're going through your every three day therapy <laughs> session. Yeah. Well, we're solving all this. <laughs> so you, <laughs> oh my gosh. So while you were in the fire department and you've been doing this for a long time, you said you've been a medic for 22 years now. So yeah. I, you know, I know you've seen some stuff. Um, yeah. And it's, it's funny because like, all right, should be told, and this is between you and me right now, even though everybody's going to hear it. So I've done the majority of my medical stuff in the helicopter. So, you know, in my, uh, whatever it was, 12 years in the, in the Coast Guard, EMT basic, back of a helicopter, limited patient contact. Then I went down, Gulf of Mexico, got my paramedic. My street time is like my, that was my, uh, oh, you're getting signed off. You're getting qualified. You're doing all your, your protocol stuff in order to, to go take the national registry at one point or another. So like my, my street time is little, all right. Don't tell anyone, but, <laughs> but my experience is all on helicopters and or air ambulance. That's where it is. Um, and I'm not, I don't want to take anything away from anybody that's done the same as I have, but you know, like I'm, you guys as firefighters, cause I've responded with some of the guys that are on the firehouse, you guys get called out a lot. Oh, and for yeah. some little stuff, the frequent flyer stuff, and the crazy stuff. So, yeah. I've been, yeah, I've, I've been on the job for, been on the fire department for 19 years. Um, first few, I, like I said, I've been a paramedic for 22 years. I, I first started in EMS on an ambulance, you know, working on an ambulance service uh, here in Tulsa and Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. And then I got been on the Fire Tulsa. I've been on the Tulsa Fire Department now for 19 years. Uh, and currently, I'm uh, with the Rescue Task Force. We do all the technical rescue stuff, all the ropes, high angles, swift water, trench, all the super cool technical rescue stuff. Awesome. Right up my yeah, alley. I love it. I love it. <laughs> you know, and we're, we, we, get to, we get to fight fire just like everybody else, but we also get to do the, the heavy rescue stuff as well. It's a lot of fun. We go every because we can go anywhere in the city. We can go to out of town anywhere that people need heavy rescue, and they they'll call us. So we we get a lot of interesting things. Just a couple shifts ago, we get called out to this little town out north of uh, Tulsa, and I remember the story obviously because it just happened a couple shifts ago. You forget a lot of things over nineteen years, you know. So uh-huh, right. You gotta, you <laughs> Yeah, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. You know, I remember that story. And but we get called out to this little town out north, and we're in the truck, and we have a heavy rescue truck there. We we jump in the heavy rescue and, and take off, and we're getting dispatch information, you know, over the radio on our way there. And it sounds like a bad episode of Chicago Fire or something. It <laughs> they're like. We, there's a, a car was involved in a chase. The car drove through a building. Now the building is on fire and the car is on fire and the victim is trapped in, inside the car. And like, what else could go wrong here? They had dispatched the, uh, another fire truck that was closer to us that got on scene before we did. And they're like, you know, hey, this building, two-story brick buildings fully involved. And we just had a roof collapse and the, the second floor was getting ready to collapse. And we're like, geez, what's, 
what's going on? It couldn't get any worse. We're like, this is insane. And then luckily there's a tow truck that was close by that was able to hook onto this car and pull it out because, you know, the car was on fire. The, it was in the building. It, the, the He was trapped and everything. We get there. I'd never, never done an extrication on a car that was this mangled. Usually when it's at this point, you're like, hey, this medical examiner, take over, you know. But I'm like, hey, let's, let's, let's extricate this dude and go from there. Because I'm not, at this point, we're a BLS truck on for technical rescue stuff. So I'm not working as a paramedic uh, exactly. So I'm like, let's get, let's get the extrication equipment and get this dude out. And we, we get them, we get them out pretty quickly. I was shocked that just by looking at this car and um, the, get them on the, the cot and the paramedic that was there on scene, you know, those patches on the stuff. And I look over, I'm like, he's an assistant. I can just, you know, you can just tell sometimes. Like, yeah. And he's like, he's like, yeah, but he had a pulse at one, you know, he had a pulse at one time. Like we all had pulses at one time, you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. We you did. If you were alive, you had yeah. a pulse at one point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Was, so, um, she, they decided to like, let's, let's work. Them. So we get them loaded up in the back of the ambulance and I'm doing chest compressions. Next thing I know, the doors closed to the ambulance. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't want to go to the hospital. I'm a, I got firemen stuff to do outside. I got buildings on fire and all this other cool stuff going on. I don't want to be back here doing chest compressions for 20 minutes on our way to the hospital because that's how far out it was. It was about a 20-minute ride from the scene to the hospital. Back there in full bunker gear, doing chest compressions, sweat pouring out my face. I was like, this is just so miserable. I hate this. All the other guys are back there fighting fire and doing all the cool stuff. I'm just going to get to hear stories when I get back there again. So... And it's going to be yeah, Frank. You should have been there. Oh my God. There, oh, yeah. If you had been here, it would have done this and this. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having it in, guys. Yeah. I've got 19 years on. Let's get one of these younger guys back here. <laughs> we start doing 20 minutes worth of chest compressions on the way to the hospital. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, but we do. <laughs> yeah. We get to do some cool stuff on, on rescue. And not too long ago, we had this guy. He, he, he drove off into the river, and this was during the wintertime. He drove off into the, into the river and ended up on some kind of a pillar. And I don't remember what you call it, but I, I think it's for cargo ships to keep from running into the bridges or something. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the pylons that are in the, like, yeah. in the causeway and stuff, yeah. So, yeah, we're uh, middle of winter. It's uh, somehow he, he drives off into the river, and... He climbs up on this this pillar, and it's probably it, it's probably maybe twenty feet above the water, but it's about a hundred feet from the bridge, from the top of the bridge. And the river's frozen up. Uh, there's the roads are icy. It's three o'clock in the morning. It's snowing, freezing rain, sleet. Single digit. Wait, 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 this is still uh, this is still Oklahoma, right? I this think you Oklahoma. guys got snow down there. What is what is that yeah. snow snow? I'm from yeah, New England. Let me. I'll show you snow. Yeah, but in Oklahoma, <laughs> if you don't like the snow, just wait five minutes and it'll yeah, be yeah. seven degrees outside. 
I just I wanted to clarify you're in Oklahoma and it's snowing. Just yes. throw that out there to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're in these conditions, worst conditions ever. And like we're doing high angle technical rescue rope stuff off the side of this bridge at three o'clock in the morning to go get this guy. And um your hands are frozen. They don't, they're not moving. You can't hardly see. And you're, you know, you're setting up these rope systems and you're like, I hope my knots are correct. I hope I got that rigged right and everything else. But we go down and, and, and rescue this guy off the top of this pillar. And it's stuff like that, that we get to do as, as the heavy rescue guys on, on the fire department. That's like, man, that's, that's really cool. You know, we're, we're doing high angle rescues off of bridges uh, in trenches extrications and we we're doing it quite we're doing it a lot we, that's one thing about being here in Tulsa is that we don't just train for the big mission that never comes we're getting it all the time so a lot of experience and, and a lot of cool rescues we get here in Tulsa so I've been fortunate to have a, a long career so far here here in Tulsa 19 years now dang but, that's awesome yeah and then I've been with the uh, urban search and rescue team now for about, oh, I think seven years now. I've been, sorry, USAR team as, okay. a, a, re- as a rescue tech. So uh, like, uh, do you have to give me kind of a rundown? I'm not too familiar with that. So is that going in and around through buildings and whatnot to pull people out? Is yeah. That- structure collapse class. Uh, oh, wow. Stuff, um, you know, of course, high angle, a lot of, uh, uh, swift water stuff a lot of flooding we we get we deploy anywhere in the country where they need us to go with the the usar team uh and it's usually after natural disasters after hurricanes or, or big floods and stuff come through we get we, we show up with boat teams and, and all that stuff wow no kidding yeah, yeah. and then uh, kind of the spinoff from the usar team is our hsar team helicopter search and rescue team and we've we've had that going for about five years now. Um, we've had we've had multiple deployments. We've been that's, to South. That's Carolina. my world, buddy. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> so that's what's awesome is I, I'm, I'm get to be on the fire department, but with HSART, I get I still get to be on the, the helicopter. You know, I'm yes. still doing helicopter search and rescue stuff in the civilian world too. Ah, oh, it's and, beautiful. Oh, it's awesome. And what's really cool is we have we have two platforms. We have the Blackhawk and the Lakota. And the Blackhawk unit is the same unit that I deployed to Iraq with. So I know those dudes. I've been working with those dudes now for like 12 years. And oh, that's awesome. Good. Yeah, they're good buddies of mine. I, I love those guys. Um, but I'm a civilian now, and I don't have to put up with their military crap. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to salute uh, you anymore. You know, <laughs> my pants are untucked. I need to shave, and I don't care. <laughs> yeah. All right, for all you young guys out there, don't hey, don't let that get out. Okay, you you yeah. stay, you keep that high and tight. All right, keep clean, yeah. keep clean. Come on, keep clean shaved. Yeah, I got my little Joe Dirt stash going on. I like it too. Yeah, well. I, I've got a face for podcasts right now and not TV. So yeah, that's we, a good thing. We might but, be looking at you. We're not totally sure yet. I'm not sure yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, we've got our HSART team kind of roll back into helicopter stuff, you know, since that's what our podcast here is about. 
So is um, the Blackhawk connected to the National Guard unit, or is that yes? Okay, no, it's Got it's it. National Guard. And your coda, you have a coda as well that's with you yeah, guys, or is that part of your National Guard as well? National National Guard as well. Nice. What it is? All our aircraft and our air crews are all from the Army National Guard, and okay. then all the the rescue swimmers are from the fire department. Okay, we're all yeah. So all the swimmers are civilian. Uh, and like I mentioned earlier, I was like, man, I hate using the term rescue swimmer, you know, because you have earned that title as, yeah. as a rescue swimmer. You know? Thank you. Yes. Uh, we just, we're just really good at treading water. So, <laughs> or, or unless I'm, you know, unless then I'm at, at a bar, if I'm at a bar trying to get on, a, trying to pick up on a hot chick, you're like, hey. yeah, I'm a rescue swimmer. Yeah. The, you right? gotta go with it. You gotta go with it. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever works, whatever works. Whatever, Come on, Frank. Yeah. Yeah. Just follow with so, Frank the tank and you'll be, I mean, your money right there. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want to say, you know, hey, I'm pretty good at treading water and doing all that. You know, but oh, that's so funny. For, well, for all us, right, wait a minute. Let me, let's back up for a second because out of curiosity, what do you guys do for rescue swimmer training? I mean, there are all like a lot of my friends are rescue swimmers in their department or in their area. Um, I get it. The, the training is different. Like it's, but it's, you know, I mean, there's Navy rescue swimmers and there's Coast Guard rescue swimmers. We went through a very similar school, if not the same yeah. school in the early, early days. So what did you guys do for training to be a rescue swimmer? I mean, you had to have something. Yeah. What, what we did is two of us, um, we have 12 guys on our team, uh, six from Tulsa and six from Oklahoma city. And, when we first started the program, me and one of the Oklahoma City firefighters, we went down to Florida and they've got a, quote, rescue swimmer program that's kind of uh, geared toward not the civilian side, but for firefighters and first responders and, and stuff like that. It's not nearly as intense as what you went through, obviously, wow. but it's, you know, it's kind of the, the first responders type of a rescue swimmer course and then we actually became instructors and then we came back and then once we selected the rest of the guys for the team we were the instructor for those guys and put them through uh, oh very nice okay that makes it so and and let me ask you like um, now i'm getting into more nitty-gritty stuff but um you know a lot of stuff that we get taught like in the pool is dealing with patients uh or victims that get you know um they get kind of crazy and next thing you know, they're out of control and you, you're, you're having to basically control the victim in the water. Uh, did they teach you guys all that? Your escapes and releases and. Oh, oh yeah. Whole, okay. Yeah. That, that's a lot of the big stuff like, like that controlling yeah. your patients when they come combative and, yeah. and whatnot, different approaches to use yep. and different escape moves if you get, get tied up and stuff. So it was, it was a cool class. Now, if somebody else asked me, I'm going to be like, yeah, it was. We went through buds. It was like Navy SEAL training, you know. <laughs> you, you know, you can actually say it was like Coast Guard swimmer training and be okay yeah. with it. I'm just gonna throw that out. Who there. Knows? Like, Nobody knows the truth. Nobody knows the truth. Like it was. I thought I was gonna die. You know. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Frank, you know what? I, I, yeah, you got it. You know what? You can have five hundred point one. How's that? Uh, uh, thank you thank you i, I get the point one you're you better have, you better put the point one in there you're not allowed yeah. to have 500 that's mine 
<laughs> oh my gosh, Frank, that's hilarious. Man, that's cool. So now what else do you guys do as far as all right? So rescue swimmer, I get it. If there's somebody in the river, um, lakes, or if you get deployed to somewhere else in like natural disaster area, I assume hurricanes down anywhere down in like Texas, Louisiana, um, so on and so forth. But do you guys do so you're hoisting down to buildings and so you guys are just rescue specialists on the ground? Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Cool. 90% of our our training and stuff we prepare for is is on dry land, whether top of a building, on top of a car, in a tree, uh, any type of scenario that you can come up with. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much our focus is is dry land kind of stuff. Yeah. And then you know, we get out there on the coast and there's stuff out the stuff that's out there that's for you guys you know we're not swimming in 40 foot 12 that's not our lane we we know our, our our position that's not our lane there but uh we we get to do uh we're next month we're we've got a really cool spot it's down it's on the river uh down right right below the dam really good swift water training that we're fixing to to do I'm looking forward to that uh, sweet yeah, the other place we used to have to do our swift water trading, we pretty much destroyed, blew $30,000 of mulch into the water and tore down their fence and all the other stuff. So we got kicked out. We can't train there anymore. So, Oops. yeah, we're we're back going down to the river now. But, um, which actually, uh, we, we just got the, that one, um, well, what was the, the new that strap that you were talking about? Oh, the capture strap. Yeah, we we just got that. We're uh, uh, we're going to be practicing with that next month. So we're before you Dar- do the Derby call strap. me. The Derby strap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, Made by yeah. Uh, CMC. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, so. But call me. Call me before you. But I'll give you some tips and tricks, and then you can be like, oh, and then see what works from there. Yeah, I'd like to get a hold, you know, go over some of that stuff before we have our, our actual training. Yeah. But yeah, we're uh, we we're we've been deployable now for for five years, and we've been to you know South Carolina, Florida, Louisiana. We've, we've got a number of uh, uh, deployments under our belt because it was it any, was kind any of any rescues cool. out of it. Not me personally. Not me. No? We've got right. guys that, that that have they they were at the right place at the right time, you know. Yeah. And, and got some legit, legit rescues while they were down there. Even nice. a dog, you know. That's rescue, awesome. Rescue well, anybody and everybody. But it's it's that it's the idea of that it's it it does work. It works as advertised. Is kind of yeah another part of that question. You know, like you know, if you've got a full team that's deploying, they're going to be put to use in the area they're going to. Yeah, that's awesome. Good, yeah. sweet man. That's a freaking amazing. And still doing the job. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. I love it. Yeah, it's 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 it's. I've I've been blessed with a, a, an amazing career and opportunities to to do some cool things. Uh, yeah. I was even on the SWAT team for a while, you know. And back when I was on there, it was the whole tactical medicine part was just kind of getting popular in the civilian world, you know. Yeah. And like we had, we were on the team and we got to where we were trying to train operators and, and, and medical procedures. And they're like, what? we don't need to know this stuff. That's why we have you guys doing it, you know, and uh, people carrying IFACs, individual first aid kits, you know, 
we we had, we just about invented those. We should have put a patent on it. We were we were back then. We were taking we were getting individual items that you would put in it and vacuum sealing it in like a, a food bag and yeah. vacuum sealing it and telling those guys, "Hey, put this in your cargo pocket." And, you know, so we were like inventing the the ifat before it ever came out in the civilian world we just weren't smart enough to, to patent <laughs> could have been rich so, yeah. so somebody yeah. else came along and, and made it happen oh yeah. man oh <laughs> yeah, that's all right that's all right yeah. you know what not yeah. sometimes it just takes somebody a little smarter yeah i'm just kidding frank i'm just <laughs> that's kidding dude. <laughs> that's, that's not hard yeah <laughs> You know, yeah. of course, when, you know, you got operators being like, why am I putting this in my pocket? This is stupid. This is, you know, <laughs> you got that big bag on your back, you know, in case something happens. That's, that's why yeah. we have you. But then now, you know, yeah, all it's, of your operators are yeah. cross-trained and all that gets tactical medicine is just, it's the new thing, you know. It's, it's one of those things when you, uh, when you don't need it and then all of a sudden you get on scene and you're ripping through this big bag trying to find the one needle you need. And yeah. if you just had the one in your pocket that he told you to take, you yeah. would be fine. I'm just yeah. saying. Yeah. Of course, of course, once we started kind of doing some cross training with, with the police officers, they, yeah. they were, they, they got into it. They're like, well, this is pretty cool. So <laughs> they might complain, they might complain, but they'd get you over to the side and be like, man, what was, how did you put that tourniquet on again? Yeah. And so they were really enjoying the medical side. And, uh, you know, of course, we're like, you know, every cop dreams of being a fireman. So. Oh, this, this, man, he said yes. it, Frank, you said yes. it. You I know that's there. not getting cut out of this either. <laughs> oh. You know, every cop that's listening to this is shaking their head right now. That's shaking their head. Going, <laughs> yeah, that son of a gun. He's he's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm not sure hey, if I should cut I was, it right now or just keep going. No, no, go with it. Hey, I was I was married to a cop for a little bit, so I've earned I, I've earned the right to, to. Oh, good, perfect. It's to, like it's like to, I was picking on all the other services. I'm okay with yeah, that. I, I, with him. I with him. Good. <laughs> oh, Frank, that is hilarious. I love yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> Holy smoke. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I One more thing before I let you go, if you don't mind. It, you know, you've got 22 years of being a medic and experience. Army, overseas, you know, like combat time, civilian time. USAR, now HSAR, like if you had a piece of advice to give everybody out there right now, what would it be? My advice, especially for younger guys, is that you only get one career. Go out there, never be satisfied. Try, go out and do new things, different things. Make yourself better. Never stop training. Do everything you can now because you only have one career. You don't want to look back at it and go, I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have done that. You know, for me, every opportunity that's been thrown my way, I've, I've jumped on it, you know, and yeah. that's, I've had an amazing career over, over the years. I, I, I say that um, I've done everything and I've just about have, but it's because I always want to, I always want to do everything that, that's out there. I'm never satisfied with my career. Always push yourself to, to be, to be better. I like so. it. Man, 
Oh, dude, I love it. (laughs) Frank, dude, I can't thank you enough for coming on, sharing the stories and and just the advice and what you guys are doing there in in Oklahoma. It's amazing. So freaking solid work. Solid. Oh, thanks. Thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, if you guys get any more stories and stuff and you want to come my way, just man, call me up, dude. I'll have you guys on any of you guys. uh, Next time I'm throwing somebody else under the bus. I'm okay with that. Yes. Yes, please. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Approved. Yeah. Let, me, yeah. let, me, let me check. Uh, yep. They're scheduled in. Look at that. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Frank, this has been awesome, man. I, one of these days when I get back down to the States and, and maybe down to your neck of the woods, I'm giving you a call. We're going for a beer. All right. for sure. Appreciate it. So, awesome. And I'll, I'll catch you later. All right. Thank you. Absolutely. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com that's jason at t-h-e-r-e-a-l-r-e-s-q.com you can also check us out on our web pages therealrescue.com our facebook page and our instagram page at therealrescue again a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today always remember when that star alarm goes off those in distress are praying for a miracle they are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.